You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius audio podcast. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and look with me to the book of Amos. I'm telling you early because some of you haven't been there in a while. It's going to take you a while to find it. I'll give you a little hint. It's in the Old Testament. Thanks to Pastor Michelle who brought the word last Sunday. I wasn't here, but I heard it was awesome. So thank you, Pastor Michelle, for helping out while I was away. But today we are continuing on in this series, Gods at Wars. We've been talking about the issue of idolatry and the things that war for our hearts. As I said a couple weeks ago, there's like this ongoing war, this ongoing conflict that's happening um, and it's for our hearts, it's for our allegiance, it's, it's for our worship. Now, idolatry is not just an issue of the past. It, I really believe it's an issue of the present. And each of us are confronted with this issue. And here's the challenge. Anything can become an idol in your life if it becomes a substitute for God. Say that again. Anything in your life can become an idol in your life if that thing, if that person becomes a substitute for God. He, what you're searching for and chasing after reveals, it, it reveals what God is winning the war in your heart. If we're not careful and cautious, we can find ourselves creating idols that keep us like from fully following God, from fully being devoted to God. And God will not be like second or third or fourth. God demands and deserves first place first place, to be the first priority in your life. So in this series, we're confronting some of these gods that are competing for our hearts. In the past couple weeks, we've been talking more in a broad general sense about the issue of idolatry. Today, we're going to kind of zoom in on some specific areas where there might be some idolatry happening in your life. And I can assure you before we ever get into this today, this is not going to be comfortable. But turn to your neighbor and say, say this to him. Hey, it's going to be painful, but it's going to be good. Go ahead and tell him. It's going to be painful, but it's going to be good. Like pastor's going to get in our closet this morning. As we address the issue of idolatry, what we have to understand, and this is critical, this is foundational, is that we were made by God and for God. And until God is our greatest pleasure, all other pleasures will lead us to emptiness. They'll leave us searching. To the stuff of this life, the stuff of this life cannot fulfill us because we were created for God. We were created to live life in relationship with God. That's how we were fashioned. That's how we were formed. Created in the image and likeness of God so that we might relate to God. Listen, nothing else in all of God's creation has that privilege. The cat, the dog, the elephant, the hippopotamus, none of those. But only you and I are created in the image and likeness of God. Listen, we were created to seek God, to worship God, and pursue God, and enjoy the stuff that he's created. So we're setting our pursuit after God while we're enjoying the wonder of of all that he's created for us. The problem comes, the problem comes when we replace God with the temporary stuff of life. The problem comes when we look to the created things to bring security and value and fulfillment for our lives instead of the creator. And when this happens, when we're looking to the stuff rather than our creator, when this happens in our lives, what's it called? It's called idolatry. Idolatry happening in our lives. And here's the challenge. Good things, even things God created for our good and enjoyment can become gods in our lives. 
It's not just the bad things of life that can trip us up. It's, it's, it's even the good things. It, even the good things can come to a place that they are a substitute for God in our lives. If we're not aware, the very things that we pursue for pleasure can become a problem in our pursuit of God. So today we want to confront the gods of pleasure. That's what we're going to talk. That's kind of a focus this morning. We're going to talk about food, sex, and entertainment. If people knew I was talking about sex today, this place would be full, right? That's what we're going to, we're going to, we're going to zero in on those three areas, those three items. The food, sex, and entertainment are not sinful or evil in and of themselves. In, in fact, all of these things have the potential to be good gifts from God that draw our hearts ever closer to Him. But inside the temple of pleasure, here's the challenge, the gifts can be turned into God's. I'll say it again. The gifts that God's blessed us with can be t- turned into God's that actually distract us or, or deceive us or lead us away from God. Now, now let me be really clear because this could easily be misunderstood and, and taken out of context. And I, I, don't, I don't want that to happen. I don't want anyone to leave today saying, wow, he just piled on more religion. That's why we don't go to church much because he just makes us feel bad about, about life. And this is not about more religion. Hear me clearly, God is not anti-pleasure. Matter of fact, turn to your neighbor. They need to hear it twice. Tell them God's not anti-pleasure. God's not like, God's not anti-fun. He's not against us having fun. Matter of fact, matter of fact, the areas that we're going to address today were created by God for our enjoyment. Here's we're going to address we're created by God, who is a good father, who's lavished us with some amazing gifts. So these areas are not bad. They're, they're, actually, they're actually really good. But again, if we're not careful, we can turn the gifts into, into God's. See, God wants us to enjoy what he's created as we set our hearts to seek him and follow his ways. He wants us to enjoy the things as we're seeking after him. Jesus said these words in Matthew 6, 33. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things, things that you need will be given to you as well. So God wants us to enjoy what he's created, what he's provided for us. He just, he doesn't want us to turn the gifts into God's. And as, as we look back in history, and we're gonna look here in the book of Amos, if we look back in history to the prior covenant, there's a, there was the reality of this playing out. The leaders of the nation of Israel had turned the very gifts of God, the very gifts that God had given them into gods that they were worshiping. They prostituted themselves to the things. And what we're going to discover as we read this passage of the scripture, God's bringing a word of judgment, a word of correction to these leaders because as a result of turning the gifts into God, spiritual complacency set in. Their hearts have drifted away from God. Why? Because there's idolatry happening in their lives. Again, God's speaking to this prophet by the name of Amos, bringing this word of correction. So I I want us to read this passage of Scripture just as a, a point of illustration for us. Because if we're not careful, this is what I'm convinced of. The same thing can happen in our own lives. And the same thing may have happened in your life. So let's read this. Amos chapter 6, verse 1. Woe to you who are, catch this word, woe to you who are complacent in Zion. 
To you who feel secure on Mount Samaria, you notable men of the foremost nation to whom the people of Israel come. Go to Cana and look at it. Go from there to Hamath and then go down to Gath and Philistia. Are they better off than, than your two kingdoms? Is their land larger than yours? You put off the evil day and bring near a reign of terror. No, notice verse 4. This is where I want us to focus. You lie on beds inlaid with ivory and you lounge on your couches. You dine on choice lambs and fattened calves. You strum away on your harps like David and you improvise on musical instruments. You drink wine by the bowlful and you use the finest lotions. But you do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, you will be among the first to go into exile. Your feasting and lounging will end. See, the Israelites were being confronted because their pursuit of pleasure had lulled them to this place of spiritual complacency. Like the very things they were enjoying, the very gifts that God had given them deceived them and distracted them from their pursuit of the one true God. And as they were enjoying their, their pleasure, this is what happened. They forgot their God. Interesting. They allowed the temporary stuff to deceive them to the point that they thought everything was great, but they had a problem. And here was the problem. It was divided devotion. The stuff, the temporary stuff, the pleasures of life had caused them to come to a place that their hearts were no longer hungry, passionately seeking after God. So this is what I know. If we're not aware Hear me, friend, the same thing can happen in our lives. We can get so caught up enjoying and seeking pleasure that we no longer have time to seek God. We can so elevate the pursuit of pleasure that it actually edges God out of our lives and spiritual complacency sets in. Now, now again, let me say, there's nothing wrong with pleasure. There's nothing wrong with enjoying what God has provided. But what we don't want to do is we don't want to allow the gifts to become God's in our lives. So let's talk for a minute about three good gifts, three good gifts that God's blessed us with that have the potential to mislead us, that have the potential to trip us up. So the first is the God of food. How many of you love having a good meal? How many of you are thinking right now about the restaurant you're going to just soon as I say amen? Yeah. Uh, we, all, we all love, we, we all love food. We all enjoy food. You know, I'm just returning from six days in Arkansas. I, I had the privilege of being with my dad as he turned 80 this past week as we had a celebration. It was fun to be home. But every time I go to Arkansas, I gain somewhere between four to six pounds. My mom loves to cook and I never want to hurt her feelings. So I indulge while I'm there. Interesting as we are enjoying a dying experience sitting around my mom's table, as we're eating the very meal we're eating, she's already asking me what I want for our next dining experience. He loves to cook. And the more I brag on her cooking, guess what she does? She cooks more. You know, it's been this way since I was a kid growing up and even still now as I'm an adult and I go home, there's always, at the end of the meal, there's always somewhere between three to four desserts available. And you can have whatever you want. You can have as much as you want. You can have all four of them if you want. One of the reasons I'm wearing a black shirt today to hide my six days in Arkansas because I've been told you look thinner when you wear black. 
But we all love food, don't we? And food is, food is great. I think food is like one of the wonderful gifts that, that God's blessed us with. Like there's nothing wrong with food. We understand it's like food that gives us physical, gives our bodies physical energy. Like we, we need food to, to survive. But could it be, could it be that the gift of food has become a God for you? Could it be that it's food that you turn to for comfort? Could, could it be that you live to eat? I want you to watch this little funny clip from an animated, animated film called Over the Hedge that might, it might just reveal a problem. We just get the food and go, really. Do they have it or not? Didn't you see it? It was in the box. They've always got food with them. We eat to live. These guys live to eat. Let me show you what I'm talking about. The human mouth is called a pie hole. The human being is called a couch potato. That is a device to summon food. That is one of the many voices of food. That is the portal for the passing of the food. That is one of the many food transportation vehicles. Humans bring the food, take the food, ship the food, they drive the food, they wear the food. That gets the food hot. That keeps the food cold. That, I'm not sure what that is. What do you know? Food! That is the altar where they worship. Food. That's what they eat when they've eaten too much food. That gets rid of the guilt so they can eat more food. Food! 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 So, you think they have enough? Well, they don't. For humans, enough is never enough. And what do they do with the stuff they don't eat? They put it in gleaming silver cans just for us. That's a diaper, and that does come out of a wazoo. So, what do you think? Was I right or was I right? And these things are just the scraps. Where do you see what comes in the boxes, and the packages, and the cans? I'm telling you, folks, you stick with me, and in one week we will gather enough food to, 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 to feed a bear. What? <laughs> the couple lines I love in that little clip, like the human mouth is the pie hole right or or the treadmill that's where we go to get rid of the guilt so we can eat more food rj the raccoon says to his animal friends we eat to live but these guys live to eat now now before writing this off as not being a problem think about this here's a couple facts for you it's estimated that americans will spend 110 billion dollars consuming fast food this year 110 billion According to the American Health Center for Disease and Control, 68% of Americans are overweight and one-third of Americans are obese. Like it would be hard to argue that like, this is not a problem in our country today. Like food can also be a guide when you're consumed or obsessed with diet and exercise. Like You could build your life around an organic health food diet and you could still be building your life around a false God. And what's interesting is if we look to the Scripture... Like food is always a gift from heaven. Like God showed Adam and Eve great bounty, this great bounty of good things that he had provided for them to enjoy. 
but it was the gift that he gave them for their enjoyment. Not only did he give us the gift of food, but he's given us like 10,000 taste buds to be able to enjoy the wonder of all the food that he's, he's blessed us with. What? For our enjoyment. Ecclesiastes 9, 7, we're told, go and eat your food with gladness. If you think about it, like God could have produced like a simple root for us to chew on that would give us all the nutritional value that we need to survive, right? Some bland experience, but he didn't. When he gave us this gift of food, the, the blessing of the gift to be able to enjoy what he's, he, he's given us. So eating is good. The problem, the problem is that every gift that God has given us can be twisted into a lure that pu pulls us away from him. What we don't want to do is allow food to become a substitute for God. So here's a few questions for reflection. Just some heart check questions. Do you eat to live or do you live to eat? Like what, what place does this gift have in your life? Do you eat more for pleasure or do you eat more for nourishment? When you're pressed and stressed, does the refrigerator become your friend and source of comfort? Hey, food is, is good. It's, it's not bad. Food is for enjoyment when it's in its right place. So don't, don't feel guilty when you're going and enjoying a nice lunch today. So celebrate the gift, but don't allow the gift to become a God. In its right place, like food is like this wonderful amazing gift from God so enjoy the gift but let's keep our focus on the one who's given us the gift amen here's a second prevalent God in our culture today it's the God of sex now sex is good in fact sex is a gift from from God himself but isn't it amazing how some of the like richest and most beautiful gifts from God are often the same gifts that are twisted into hideous and destructive idols. You know, sex wasn't our idea. Like sex was God's idea. It brings pleasure and intimacy, and of course it produces children in accordance with God's plan. You know, God could have made, I mean, think about it. God could have made reproduction simple, mechanical, and a joyous, joyless act of natural instinct. Like he could have created sex to feel the same way it feels when your hair grows. But he didn't. He made it to be this like this pleasure for us to enjoy. A gift that he's, he's blessed us with. You know, just as we've seen with food, God designed sex in such a way that it, that it doesn't just accomplish a purpose. It actually brings us pleasure. Like he's a good father who likes to give good gifts to his children. But again, what we don't want to do is we don't want to turn the gift into a God that consumes us. And when we become obsessed with sex and sexual fantasies and we're consumed with sex, we allow the gift that God's blessed us with to become a God in our lives. And sex enjoyed God's way creates and affirms like this spiritual and intimate bond between a husband and a wife. But sex outside of the context of marriage it is destructive. I always kind of like to think of it as, as fire. How many of you know a fire in the fireplace is, is very enjoyable, beautiful? Well, not so much now in the summer, but as we get into the fall and on into the winter, like my wife can sit for hours in front of a fireplace. It's enjoyable, relaxing. So if fire in the fireplace is good. Can we agree on that? But you take that same fire and you take it outside of the fireplace somewhere else in your house, 
I mean, you know, it becomes very destructive. So it is with sex, the gift that God has blessed us with for our enjoyment. You take, you take this gift of sex outside of the boundaries, outside of the confines of what God has defined in his word according to the marriage covenant. If you take it outside of that, then this gift becomes destructive. Sex is a beautiful gift, but it becomes destructive when it's a God in our lives that rules us and controls us. Here's a fact for you. Did you know that more money... More money is spent on pornography in this country than on pro baseball, basketball, and football all combined. Last year, it grossed more than ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox all combined. It's an industry, the pornography industry is an industry worth more than $10 billion annually. Folks, that should tell us we got a problem. Here's another statistic for you. Surveys have revealed that four out of every 10 men who proclaim themselves to be Christians are struggling with pornography. Now we're not talking about the world. We're not talking about those outside of relationship with God. We're talking about those in relationship with God. Four out of 10, 40%. That tells us what, that possibly we've taken the gift and we've turned it into a, a God. Listen to the counsel that the Apostle Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Honor God with this gift, this amazing gift of sex. And rather than being ruled by sex and sexual fantasies that can wreck our lives, we want to enjoy the gift without allowing it to become a God. So here's a few questions, heart check questions, questions for reflection. How well do you control your thought life? What you're thinking. So the thoughts will come particularly in this highly sexualized society that we're living in. Listen, you're not going to avoid being exposed to a barrage of suggestive imageries unless you like belong to a monastery or a convent. Uh, In other words, if you're living in this real world, you're going to have to deal with points of temptation. It's like the God of sexual pleasure has set up temples everywhere. The scripture tells us to take every thought captive. So here's a good question. As we're thinking about this gift of sex that can be turned to a God, how well do you control your thoughts? Here's a second question. Do you honor the gift of sex in the marriage relationship? You know, interesting, one of the Hebrew words for sex is literally, tra- literally translated means this, a mingling of the souls. I think that says it so perfectly. What happens when man and woman comes together under the covering of the marriage covenant to enjoy this gift that God has given? It's the mingling of two souls. That's why we say, and two will become one. 
So here's a great question. Do you honor the gift of sex in the marriage relationship? Not outside of the marriage relationship. Because that's when it becomes destructive. In the marriage relationship. Here's a third question. What sites do you visit on the internet when you're all by yourself? Within two decades, the internet's become like the epicenter of our cultural sexual obsession. So, so think of the sites you visit as this, as temples where you go to worship. Because if you're visiting those sites, the gift has become a God. Hear me, that will wreck your life. It'll mess you up. So sex is a wonderful gift, but it's a horrible God. If enjoyed as God designed, it'll bring great pleasure. But if it becomes a God in your life, hear me again, it will become destructive. Here's a third God, a God of pleasure that that can deceive us and mislead us. It's the God, the God of entertainment. Now again, let me say, God is not anti-entertainment. It's really important that you hear that. He's not against you having some fun and, and recreation. Matter of fact, on pretty much a weekly basis, I schedule recreation into my schedule because it's the soul needs to be recreated. Recreation is not bad, it's for our good. God's created us to engage, to enjoy entertainment. But could it be, could it be that we have elevated the pursuit of entertainment above our pursuit of God? Could we be spending all of our energy and time pursuing whatever it is that entertains us in such of a way that there's no space or place left for God. I, I want to read to you a, a little exaggerated example that I actually found in a book. It's not original with me. But as I read this, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was revealing. So see if you can imagine this. People arrive hours early for church. On Sunday mornings, they don't just set a backup alarm clock to assure they wake up on time. They set up a, they set a backup for the backup. They arrange their schedule to make sure they don't miss gathering for worship. Throughout the week, they talk about what happened on the previous Sunday as excitement builds for the upcoming church service. There are all-day talk shows on the radio, radio devoted to reviewing last week's service and breaking down the next one. There's even a TV show called Church Center that runs highlight clips of church activities that have happened all across the nation that day. When Sunday comes, the members start loading up their trucks, SUVs, and sedans hours before the service starts. Hurry, says Dad frantically. We're behind again. It's 6 a.m., says Mom. Church doesn't start for five hours. Dad then says... Last time we left at this time, we had to park three miles from the sanctuary and sit in the nosebleed seats. Someday, I really want to sit on the front row, but you have to camp out on the church lawn to have any chance at that. The roads are really congested on the way to church, no matter how early you leave. At church, their vehicles parked as far as the eye can see, and folks are out tailgating. 
Some have elaborate spreads prepared, breaking out portable grills, lawn chairs in the church parking lot. Some have television monitors and satellite dishes so they can catch updates from other worship services while they're waiting for their own. So nice, it's nice weather today. Not that that matters. Even in the dead of winter, they'll be out there in the same numbers. The masses begin filing into the sanctuary, cheering with great passion and excitement. Once the service starts, the people are all on their feet. Not that they ever sit down. Of course, a bunch of young guys are in the front row. They've probably been here since Friday night. They have no shirts on and each has a letter on his chest. Together they spell, get your tithe on. Apparently, the rumor's gotten out that the pastor's indeed going to teach on biblical stewardship and worshiping God with their money. Everyone is pumped for the giving sermon. It's one of the highlights of the year. After several hours, people start looking at their watches. Everyone's thinking the same thing. I hope this sermon goes into overtime. I'm sure you're picking up on the not-so-subtle point here. The scenario seems like beyond crazy to us, but if you take out church and you put in football, then like it's perfectly sane. Now, God's not anti-football. Matter of fact, I actually think God's, he might be a Panther fan. I, I don't know. There's a chance, right? So, so God's not, God's not anti-football. God's not anti-golf. God's not anti-shopping or whatever your favorite hobby or form of entertainment is. He's actually... He's actually for you enjoying the gifts that he's blessed you with. Just don't make a God out of it. Don't, don't give it precedence and priority over the pursuit of the one true God. Again, entertainment is good. We need recreation to refuel our souls. However, when we place the value of entertainment above the pursuit of God, then we've made something good into a God. Listen, it's a little difficult to hear, but when we have time to play, but we don't have time to pray, there's a problem. When we have time to entertain ourselves, but we don't have time to engage in relationship with God, getting into his word, being a part of a group for spiritual formation, when we say we, we, we don't have time for that, yet we make all of this time for the things that entertain us, the thing that is good that God's blessed us with has actually become a God in our lives. But we, we end up with divided devotion. You know, Solomon, Solomon's known, King Solomon's known as like one of the wisest, wealthiest men who, who ever lived. Like he, he, he had it, he had it all. I want you to listen to what he wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse, verse 10 and 11. He said, I, den I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. In other words, I, I, I had it all. And he could afford to have it all. So whatever I wanted, he says, that's what I sought ever. Whatever I thought would bring me pleasure, that's what I went after. My heart took delight in all my labor. And, and this is a reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I'd told to achieve, everything was meaningless. Chasing after the wind, nothing, nothing was gained under the sun. Solomon here relates how he tried pleasures, wealth, and, 
and cultural delights, an effort to find like fulfillment, to find, the, to find the good life. Yet these things did not result in true happiness. Life was still empty of satisfaction. That's what he's saying. He said it was chasing after the wind. It was, it was all empty. Listen, we can only find lasting peace, fulfillment, and joy if we look for our happiness in God, if he's the one that we worship. So hear me, friend. Enjoy the entertainment. Again, God's not anti-entertainment. Enjoy the entertainment, whatever it might be. But don't, hear me, don't allow it to edge God out of your life. Don't allow it to, to bring you to a place of spiritual complacency. Enjoy the gift, but don't make it a God. So, here, again, let me give you just a couple questions of, for reflection, a couple heart check questions. Is there a form of entertainment that you're enjoying that has greater precedence and priority in your life than your pursuit of God? If so, then repent, refocus, make a course correction. Here's a second question. What kind of entertainment media have you found to be the most addictive that you need to guard yourself from? Again, we don't want to allow the gift to rob us of what really matters. So what might we have addictive tendencies toward? So we have these gods these gods that are warring for our hearts, the gods of, of food, sex, and entertainment. But they're competing for the place that God desires and the place that God deserves. And most of the time, most of the time, the pleasures we pursue are not bad, they're good. But if we're not alert, if we're not aware, if we're not cautious, we can allow the gifts that God's given us to become gods that keep us from pursuing Him. Listen. They can rob you from fully knowing and fully experiencing God. And this is not about whether you're going to go to heaven or not. Not about whether you're saved or not. But it is about what's your heart pursuing. What are you giving your worship to? And we don't want the gifts that God's given us to lull us to a place of spiritual complacency. Where we have divided devotion. So again, enjoy the gifts. Just don't allow them to become gods. This morning, we want to again conclude by praying through this verse of Scripture in Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, that reads like this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. See if there's any idols of pleasure in my life. And lead me in the everlasting way. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Just in a, a moment of quietness and stillness. Would you just ask the Holy Spirit this question? Holy Spirit, is there anything or any area in my life where I've turned the gift that you've given me into a God? Is there any area 
in my life, in my heart, where I've allowed this gift of food or this gift of sex or this gift of entertainment to edge you out of my life. Just ask the Holy Spirit that question. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Lord, is there any offensive way in us? Is there any area in our lives where we've, been, we've become distracted, where we've allowed something that's really good, actually a gift that you've blessed us with because you're a good father? Is there any area in our lives but we've allowed the gift to become a God. Search our hearts. And Lord, today we simply repent, Lord, for those maybe who've identified, yeah, there's some divided devotion. Lord, we simply repent. We call upon your mercy. Forgive us, God, for being distracted. Forgive us for being deceived. Forgive us for taking the very gift that you've given for our good and turning it to something that you never intended for it to be. God, forgive us for having a divided devotion, a divided heart. But today we make a course correction and we come back and say, God, you're the one that we look to. You're the one that we long for. You're the one that we're pursuing. You're the one that we want. But that's our statement to you today. And Holy Spirit, help us be aware. Because I think this is like ongoing. This is like stuff we're going to deal with today, tomorrow, Tuesday. But there's this ongoing battle Holy Spirit, help us to be aware. Help us to enjoy the gifts without giving them that place of precedence and priority, without, without making idols out of them. God, that we might honor you in our lives and with our lives. And I pray these things. In Jesus' name, amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.